I'm not doing a Father's Day sermon today, even though it is Father's Day, but I was just thinking of uh, my dad has been on been with the Lord for 10 years now, but I was thinking about some of the memories. My dad was one that he loved to kid people, and I'm not like that, right? Uh, young people, I don't ever kid. But anyway, my dad, he loved to, to give people a hard time, but he would always have his sayings that he did all the time, and, and Somehow, I've just, I've started doing them too. I, maybe I've always done them. But I didn't realize that the other day I was talking, uh, we were playing Rook, I think. We're playing some kind of cards. And I say this all the time. I don't even think about it. But especially like when my kids are deal, dealing the cards, when they'll mess up, I'll say, well, that'll get you shot in Vegas. That's what I always say. You know, I just kind of say it. And Olivia comes in there the other day and real serious. She's like, Dad. They don't shoot the car dealer if they make a mistake anymore in Vegas. I mean, she said, I really see you know, they don't do that anymore. And <laughs> I was thinking, I didn't know they ever did it. Maybe they did, but I just kind of say it. But I started thinking about, you know, our kids, they take our words seriously. When we say something, you know, they really take it to heart. And uh, so I just want to encourage all of our dads to think about that. Your words of encouragement mean a lot to your children. And the flip of that, when you criticize all the time, it has a bad effect on your kids. So just think about your words today. That's my, my short little uh, Father's Day part, okay? Uh, but today we're not talking about Father's Day. Pastor Tom is, is out of town. Uh, we, uh, the staff and deacons talked last month about all that they went through with the passing of uh, Brother Al and then with her granddaughter being sick and having to rush to North Carolina that it'd probably be wise to give Pastor Tom and Melinda some time off. So they're away today. So I'll actually be preaching uh, today and then again next Sunday. I want to ask you a question to kind of start off things this morning. Have you ever been disappointed with God? Now think about that for a second. Have you ever been disappointed with God? Have you ever prayed about something and it just seemed like God wasn't listening. Because no matter how much you prayed, nothing seemed to change. It's either God didn't care or God somehow didn't have the ability to do anything. But today and then again next Sunday, we're going to be looking at Acts chapter 12. And in Acts 12, we're going to see a church that went through some disappointments but also some great surprises. And what I want to do today is, is kind of give you some background and, and work through probably just the first five verses of Acts 12. And then next week we'll look at the rest of the chapter. But here's the question that I want you to ask yourself over the next two weeks as we look at Acts 12 and we look at some supernatural things that God does. There's some supernatural, the only way you can explain some things that happen in Acts 12 is it's supernatural. This is a question that you need to ask yourself. Either I believe this Bible or I don't believe it. Either it's the truth and I should build all my life on it as my foundation. Or realistically, I'm just kind of wasting my time by showing up here this morning. I want you to ask yourself that question as we talk over the next two weeks in Acts chapter 12. Because I really don't think there's a middle ground. 
I believe you either commit fully and trust God or you don't. Let's pray together. God, this morning, I pray that you would speak to us through your word. Lord, help us to see that you're to God not just of the first century, but today you're still alive and still working. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So again, we're going to go verse by verse through this chapter. So if you have your Bibles, Acts chapter 12, the scripture says in verse 1, about that time, Herod the king laid violent hands on some who belong to the church. So let's take the first phrase there, about that time. This was around 43, 44 A.D. Now, how do we know that? Well, we know by who the king was at that time that he only reigned for four years, from 41 to 44 A.D. And this was close to the end of his reign. The reason we know that is when we get to the end of this chapter, we're going to see his death. So it could have been somewhere in the late part of 43 or sometime in 44 A.D. Something else that we know is the church was facing great persecution during this time. Now, when I say great persecution, I'm not talking about what the church in America thinks we're going through today. Now, there's no doubt that things have changed and, and persecution has come more to the church and it's only going to increase. But we have no idea what great persecution means. That's what this first century church was facing. Great persecution. Now, what's interesting is even though there were great persecution, the church wasn't living in fear. They weren't locking themselves in rooms, scared to death. No, they were spreading. And more and more people were coming to faith every single day in the midst of the persecution. The verse continues on. About that time, Herod the king. Let's stop right there. Because we see Herod in the Gospels, and now we see Herod again in Acts chapter 12. Are we talking about the same person? Actually, there's three different Herods that we see in the Bible, in the New Testament. I want to kind of talk about that a little bit to give us a little background. The first Herod that we see is known as Herod the Great. Herod the Great was the king when Jesus was born. You remember the story from Matthew chapter 2. He had some visitors from the east. We call them the wise men that showed up to Herod. And they had a question. Where is the newborn king of the Jews? Now, Herod didn't like hearing that. Why? Because he wasn't interested in anybody competing for his throne as king. So Herod, basically, he come up for plan. He said, I tell you what, you guys, when you find this king, after you worship him, please come back and tell me where he's at because I also want to go and worship him. So the wise men go and they worship Jesus. But in a dream from God, the wise men are told, do not go back to Herod, to go back to your homeland. And that's exactly what they did. And at the same time, God sent an angel to Joseph and said, Joseph, take your wife Mary and take Jesus and flee from this land and go to Egypt. And so that's what Joseph did. So when the wise men did not return to Herod, the Bible says that Herod became furious, is the words it uses. 
He was so upset. He knew he'd been tricked. So he sent a decree to order that all the boys in the Bethlehem region, from age two to newborns, be murdered. Now, I tell you what, I've been in church my whole life. And I hear that story, and I don't even think about it. But I want to stop there and just think. Can you imagine that you're a parent of a little boy? Two, one, a newborn. And a decree has come from the king. Even though your kid hadn't done anything, the decree has come that you are to be killed. And that's exactly what happened. The soldiers went out, and they murdered every boy in the Bethlehem region, two years old and younger. This King Herod was an evil dude. We read in history books that he had three of his own sons murdered because he was jealous of them, maybe taking on his throne one day. So that's Herod the Great. The second Herod we get to is Herod Antipas. He was actually the son of Herod the Great, so somehow he must have been nice to his dad because his dad didn't take him out. But he took over the throne when his dad died. We introduced to him in the Bible when we get to Matthew chapter 14. Do you remember the story where he gave a gift to his wife's daughter? His wife's daughter, he was having a party and she danced for him. And the Bible says that he was pleased with her dancing. And he offered to give her anything that she wanted as a gift, up to half the kingdom. Now, think about that. He offered to give her anything up to half the kingdom. What did she ask for? Because her mother hated John the Baptist because he preached against their lifestyle and things they did. She asked for the head of John the Baptist. And guess what? That's exactly what she got. King Antipas had him beheaded. Later we see King, Ant- Ant- uh, King Herod Antipas was still on the throne when Jesus was arrested. Jesus was first of all taken to Pontius Pilate. And Pilate wasn't really excited about this. He was trying to pass on it. He passes him on to Herod. And Herod Antipas was excited to have Jesus. Because he had heard all these stories and all these miracles that Jesus did. He wanted to see some of them. So he asked Jesus to perform some miraculous signs before him. But Jesus didn't cooperate. Jesus didn't do anything. So he had his soldiers kind of abuse Jesus some and then sent back to Pilate. So basically Herod Antipas was the Herod on the throne most of Jesus' life. Now we're introduced to a third Herod when we get to Acts chapter 12. This is King Herod Agrippa I, the grandson of Herod the Great and the nephew of Herod Antipas. Now, you want to talk about an evil ruling family. That was these guys. They were evil. Herod Agrippa loved persecuting the church, but he did it differently than the rulers before him. Herod Agrippa decided that the best way To punish and stop the church was to focus on the leaders in the church, the leadership, and have them put to death. So the Bible says that Herod laid violent hands 
on some who belong to the church. Then we get to verse 2. We find out who some of them were. Verse 2, it says, He killed James, the brother of John, with a sword. With a sword means he probably had him beheaded also. So this is James. You know, it's interesting. We, we don't talk a lot about James. We talk a lot about Peter. We talk a lot about Paul. We talk a lot about John, his brother, who wrote the Gospel of John, who also wrote 1st, 2nd, 3rd John, who also wrote the book of Revelation. But not a whole lot is said, typically, about James. Well, James was the first of the 12 disciples to be martyred for his faith. He is actually the only of the disciples that his death, his martyrdom, was listed in the pages of the New Testament. Now, we're told when we study other history books that the other disciples were also murdered for their faith, but that's not recorded in the Bible. When we read through the Gospels, it is clear that James was in the inner circle of disciples with Jesus. Many believe that James and John were actually Jesus' first cousins, that their mother, Salome, was believed to be the sister of Mary. We don't know that for certain, but we definitely know that James and John were close, very, very close to Jesus. Many times in the gospel, we, we read this. Peter, James, and John were with Jesus. Not the other nine. Peter, James, and John were there. We see this in different times. One being when he raised the daughter of Jairus from the dead in Luke 8. The Bible says that Peter, James, and John were with him. When he went to the Mount of Transfiguration in Luke 9, Peter, James, and John witnessed that. None of the other disciples were there. When it was time for Jesus, he knew it was close to his death. He was getting ready to be arrested. He went to the garden, and he went to a separate place. And he only took Peter, James, and John with him to that separate place. And the Bible says that he told them, he says, you guys pray here. I'm going to go over here and pray. And he went, and Jesus would pray, and he would come back, and Peter, James, and John would be sleeping. And he'd wake them up, and he did it again. He did it three times. And every time he came back, they were sleeping. Peter, James, and John were very close to Jesus. James was one of the top leaders in the first century church. He was young and full of zeal for Christ. Do you remember the story when his mother, Salome, went to Jesus and asked Jesus, can my sons, James and John, can they have the highest positions in your kingdom? Can you put them maybe one to the left and one to the right? Can they take on the highest positions? We good over there? <laughs> so his mother asked, can, can my sons have the highest positions? And Jesus' response is not for me to grant, but rather for the Father to grant that. But the cup of suffering they would indeed partake. It's what, it's what he said. Referring to the future suffering and the death that would come to James and John. And that's exactly what happened. 
So here is a question for you to ponder. You know, the title of today's sermon is, He is basically who is in control. Who is in control? Could God have saved James from dying here? Could he have saved James from dying? Well, absolutely, yes, he could have. But he didn't. Why didn't he? Why didn't he save him? Was God somehow unable? Did he lack the power to save him? Do you think that the New Testament believers were praying for his release? Do you think they were devastated when they got news that James had been killed? Why would God not spare James? The scripture says this in Psalm 116, 15. Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. From a human perspective, James' death was a terrible tragedy. But God saw it as a homecoming. God allowed Herod to execute James. But later in the same chapter, he will keep Peter from being harmed. Why? Why did this happen? I can't tell you the reason why. But I do fully trust in God's sovereign plan. That he is in control. And that he does not make mistakes. We must trust him through the good times of life. But also through the very, very difficult times of life. Verse 3 says, And when he saw, talking about King Herod Agrippa, when he saw that it pleased the Jews, it pleased him to have James killed, he proceeded to arrest Peter also. This was during the days of unleavened bread. So when he saw that, man, what he had done, having James put to death, that the religious leaders and the Jews, they liked that, that his popularity job rating went through the roof. He says, oh, we're going to have, we'll have Peter arrested also. And that's what he did. Because Herod Agrippa was a people pleaser. And that's a dangerous state of mind when you're a leader with power to be a people pleaser. Loving the applause of man will lead to poor, poor decisions. One of the ways that King Herod Agrippa sought the applause of the Jews and the Jewish leaders was pretending to observe all the religious traditions. So he publicly kept their laws and he kept all their feasts and festivals. So he had James killed right before the Passover began in the Feast of Unleavened Bread. And then he has Peter arrested during that time. Now the Passover celebration, the Feast of Unleavened Bread, was a time where the Jewish people celebrated deliverance of the Hebrew people from Egypt. And they would all come together in Jerusalem and celebrate an eight-day festival. But during this eight-day celebration, neither trials nor carrying out of a sentence was permitted in the land. So even though he has Peter arrested, he can't do anything with him until after this festival is over. So Herod decided 
This, though, is a great time to have him arrested. There's so many people around Jerusalem. They'll hear about his arrested. And as soon as soon as the Passover unleavened bread celebration is over, we'll bring him out. And then we'll take care of Peter once for all. That's what it says in verse 4. And when he had seized him, he put him in prison, delivering him over to four squads of soldiers to guard him, intending after the Passover to bring him out to the people. I'll bring him as a spectacle. For, there's that Peter. And listen to him. They'll all cry for his death. And that's exactly what I'll give them. We'll execute him just like we did. James. Verse 5. So Peter was kept in prison. Let me just stop there. Peter was kept in prison. Did you notice in verse 4, I didn't mention it, but Herod... He basically put four squads of soldiers responsible for Peter. Squads in that time, Roman squads typically were six to ten soldiers. So he put anywhere from 20-something to 40 soldiers responsible for one man to guard him day and night. So now Peter is kept in prison. Verse 5, so Peter's kept in prison, but earnest prayer for him was made to God by the church. The church didn't say, you know what? Man, we lost James. We cannot lose Peter. Here's what we're going to do. Let's see, the Passover, we know when it's over. We got this much time to get some kind of escape, rescue figured out. We got to come up with some kind of plan. Here's what we got to do. Now, that's not what the church did. The church all gathered together and they earnestly started praying to God. You know, I wonder what we would do if Pastor Tom got arrested and he was going to be executed soon for some made-up charges against him. I wonder what we would do. Would we possibly call Channel 9, Channel 3, Channel 12 and, and tell them about the, how unjust this was and cry out for his release? Would we even go national and call... Fox News and CNN, so the whole nation would know what's going on and beg for his release. Will we all gather together and everybody bring money so that we can hire the finest lawyers in our nation to go to represent Pastor Tom in his release? Possibly we do all these things. But I'm afraid that the one thing, the first search first century church did first. The church in 2020 would only try after we tried all of our other resources. It would be a last resort that we would go to God in prayer. You know, throughout the pages of the Bible, different pagan leaders made assaults against God's people to try to eliminate God's people. All the way through the Old Testament, you see it. Pharaoh with Egypt, he, after they, they're out in the desert, he wanted to go and, man, he was going to bring them back. He wanted to, to punish God's people. Queen Jezebel wanted to totally eliminate them. Nebuchadnezzar, now Herod, all three of them, want to eliminate God's people. But how was God's people saved? They were not saved through their strength, but they were saved through their weakness. They were saved through their total 
dependence on God to deliver them. I'm sure everyone here has to some degree been impacted or concerned about the racial divide in our country. As the believers in Christ, what do we do? I can't fully answer that question. But I know for certain believers should be praying. We should be praying for our nation. Have you been praying during the last few weeks for our nation? If we're ever going to see the type of true racial harmony and reconciliation in our nation, God will have to move. If God does not move the hearts of men and women, everything else is in vain. Everything else does not matter. God has to move. I read an article recently that was actually from 2018. It's about the Navy's Trident D-5 missiles. Some claim that the missiles are the most powerful and reliable weapons in the United States military arsenal. Each D-5 missile is equipped with multiple independently targetable re-entry vehicles. In other words, in this one missile, there's all these other little tiny missiles that each one can be directed to a different place. Each one of those carry nuclear warheads powerful enough to destroy a small country like North Korea. Think about that power of those missiles. Did you know that the D-5 missile is not as powerful as the God we serve? The God we serve simply spoke and the heavens and the earth were created. See, prayer isn't something we do if nothing else works. Prayer is the act of placing our total confidence and trust in the sovereign king who rules over all things. That's what prayer is. So how about you? Do you pray? Do you take things to God with confidence knowing that he's the king? In times where we lose our job, God is king, so we pray. In times where our marriage has great conflict, God is king, and we pray. In times where our children are making poor decisions, God is king, and we pray. In times we grieve the loss of a loved one, God is king, and we pray. In times where our nation seems more divided than ever, God is king, and we pray. In a time where a church leader, Peter, has been taken into prison waiting to be executed, God is king, and we pray. Why has the church lost so much influence in society today? Because we walk in our own strength. Instead of prayerfully 
trusting in our almighty King. Next Sunday, we'll do the rest of this chapter. And what we're going to see is God does hear the prayers of His people. If we trust that this is true, if we believe what God's Word says is, is real, we're going to see that God hears the prayers of His people. And He moves in mighty ways in the first century. But listen to me. He moves in mighty ways today. Because the God that was on the throne then is the God that still reigns today.